Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Kim Barrett Show. I am your host, Kim Barrett. And on today's episode, we are joined by Mr. Curtis Morley. Now, if you are an entrepreneur who's thought about the heights of scaling businesses, wanted to know what are the secrets to success in growing a business, this is the episode for you. We've got a ton of amazing takeaways, key insights that will benefit you as an entrepreneur if you're trying to grow your business. Talk about the mountains you'll have to climb literally and figuratively, uh, we also break down what are some of the keys that you could do straight away today to actually you know, remove some of those negative uh, beliefs in your, about yourself and your business as well. So if you're an entrepreneur, you will not want to miss this. And of course, if you're an entrepreneur wanting to grow your business, head over to marketingmogul.com.au where we have all the resources you need to grow. But until then, let's jump into the show. Curtis, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate you making the time. Appreciate you having me on the show. Thanks so much. Great to have you. And now I always like to start every podcast off the same way, which is if I met you and we're out at a, at a party and I said to you, Curtis, what is it that you actually do? What's your go-to answer? So what I do is I, I help companies, or well, specifically I help entrepreneurs take their startups and transform them into rapid growth companies. So I, I turn the needle up. Uh, that's my job is to, is to take them from just a, a basement business, a startup to um, a rapid growth, high accelerated company. I love that. So what made you want to do that? I'm sure, like, I don't know if you just like, you know, you were like 14 years old and you're like, look, I just want to make companies grow super fast. That's my goal. How did that kind of come about for you? You know, you're not too far off, actually. <laughs> um, so I grew up in the smallest of towns in the southern middle part of Utah here in the United States. And the town was so small that my dad owned the only grocery store in the entire town. And there was, there was no stoplights. There were, there were very few sidewalks even when, when I was growing up. And one morning I was eating, eating a great big bowl of Captain Crunch cold cereal. Um, it was peanut butter crunch. I very specifically remember. <laughs> and, and the Saturday morning cartoons were rolling. And after the Saturday morning cartoons, there was um, a show called CBS Saturday Morning Special. And most of them were about boring adult stuff. Um, but this one, um, I just left the TV run. And, and this one was about a 15-year-old boy from California who started the very first snow shack. So the, the little icy on the corner type snow shack. And, um, and they kept using this word over and over again. And every time they said it, oh, and they, they also mentioned that at the time he was worth um, half a million dollars. So 15-year-old boy worth over half a million dollars. And this is when money was actually worth something. Um, <laughs> you know, this is way back when money meant something. And, and they kept using this word over and over again. And when it was done, my eyes were just huge. And I said, I've got to figure out what this word means. And so I ran to my mom. I said, mom, mom, what's an entrepreneur? And, and she looks at me and she goes, well, your dad is. And my mind just shattered. My, my brain just exploded. I'm like, oh, my dad's an entrepreneur? No way. And I was blown away. And I'm like, 
that's what I'm doing. Uh, that's what I'm going to do for my life. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And that was the day I, I think I was 11, not, not quite 14, but I think I was 11. And I made the decision that when I grow up, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. So I, I started five different companies over my career. And, um, and in the first couple, actually, part of the reason I wrote the book, The Entrepreneur's Paradox, was because in the first couple of businesses, I made every mistake possible. Like truly, that's not hyperbole. That's, that's that is absolute truth. Some of the mistakes I just kept making over and over again, just to make sure I cemented those mistakes in. And it was um, it was the impetus for me to write the book because um, I was I was actually with a friend in Chicago. We were eating Giordano's pizza, the original deep dish. No joke, it's a good inch and a half tall. Like the, it's just cheese and it's amazing. It stretches out. And he's an entrepreneur as well, very successful. His name's Greg. And I said, he said, Greg, why doesn't everybody start businesses? Entrepreneurship is such an amazing field. And, and I said, well, why did you start your business? And he said something very humorous, but very poignant at the same time. He said, he said, I am way too lazy to work as hard as everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we both chuckled, but it just sat ringing in my brain. It just sat ringing and ringing over and over again. And I said, wait, is there a better way to do business? Is there a better way than what I've been doing for all these years? Because I'll tell you what, there were, there were times where I was just um, at the top of the heap. And then the next month I'm destitute. And it was just this roller coaster ride. And, and I thought there is a better way. And so that's when I became a student of entrepreneurship. And through my subsequent businesses, I started applying these principles. And I said, you know what, I need to save everyone else the headache, the heartbreak, and just the soul ache of not having to make these mistakes anymore. And so that's why I wrote The Entrepreneur's Paradox. As you mentioned there, I think it is pretty important because sometimes, obviously, as you mentioned, People see the successful side of businesses and they go, oh, amazing. Curtis, successful, had five businesses. Some didn't work, some did. He's you know, written a book on, on Entrepreneur's Paradox. Must be doing quite well. But I'm sure that there was times probably, I'm guessing, in the first couple of businesses where you're making those mistakes, there is that heartache, sore ache, like stress, pressure, all that sort of stuff that you have to kind of deal with. How did you manage that? Obviously, as you mentioned, like making mistakes in a business and, and having where you're, you know, you're at the, uh, the crazy highs, but then having the corresponding crazy lows. How, how did you manage that? Because I always said people, when they talk to me about it, I always kind of liken it to being like entrepreneurs are just literally crazy people. Like, you kind of have to be a little <laughs> bit crazy to, to do it, right? Because it's like you gotta, you got to be able to roll with those punches. Because I think if you, were a, if you were an absolutely sane, normal person, when you hit some of those highs and lows, you'd probably be like, I'm, I'm out. I'm, do I'm done with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I hate to admit how accurate you are, <laughs> but there, there is a certain level of, of crazy. And most of that is in people not being risk averse, being willing to take risk so that they can gain a bigger reward. And, and truly, the ones that take the biggest risks are the ones that get the biggest rewards. And, um, but it is, it, it is exactly what you said. It's, it's this roller coaster of ups and downs and heartache and headache and soul ache. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's hard. It, it is. 
But the reason I wrote the book is because it doesn't have to be so hard. Um, you don't have to make the mistakes I made. And I just, you know, looking back, you know, I, there's no question I wrote the book for other entrepreneurs, but a part of me wrote the book for 26 year old Curtis as well. A part of me reached back in the past and said, hey, Curtis, this book is for you. And you don't have to do it the hard way. You don't. There's principles that you can apply. And the book, The Entrepreneur's Paradox, breaks it down into two segments, really. The, the one is the business principles, because you don't, have to be, uh, you don't have to be mentored by Warren Buffett. You know, back in the day, you either needed to know a steel tycoon or a car tycoon, or you, know, you needed this mentorship by some famous person. The world has figured out business principles. And if you apply really solid business principles to what you're doing, so that's half of the book, but also apply principles to you yourself, the entrepreneur, I believe any business can succeed. I, I truly do. I believe any business can succeed with those two pieces, the business principles and then the personal and leadership principles. You put those into your business and it, it doesn't matter what business you have you can succeed. That is, I think, so so pertinent for people to hear because I know even for myself, like we have a, a marketing agency and everyone always comes in because we deal in the world of Facebook, Instagram, things like that. And they always want the newest thing. They're like, oh, what's the newest little like hack that's going to get me half price leads for two weeks or whatever it is. And I always try and bring them back and go, like, just if you applied proper marketing principles, the basics that people have been teaching since, you know, the 1800s, you would get a phenomenal result, but the the people, especially in their marketing, goes ups and down because it's they're they're trying to chase that that new thing. And I'm 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 kind of uh, feeling that it's it sounds like it would be a similar thing from from your perspective. Like if you have solid principles and foundations built, any business or person could be somewhat successful. Until we, you know, as human beings, get in there and try and mess with the process and try and take the shortcuts and, and jump over things. So, so what are some of the big, big, I'll, I'll start with, obviously, I, I might, um, you know, try and get you to tease a few of the principles, but what's some of the mistakes that maybe that you made in your first couple of businesses that you see regularly people consistently making, whether they're aware of it or not? Yeah. So the, the logo on my book, it's, it's a Penrose triangle. And, and the reason it's a Penrose triangle is because, um, because of the paradox that is entrepreneurship. And um, entrepreneurship has a paradox built into it. It's, you can't escape it. <laughs> it's part of the process. But if you see this little guy, if he walks up the yellow path and continues up, well, trying to do that in reverse, um, then when he gets to the top, he's actually going down. And, and so there's this paradox. There's this um, paradox of entrepreneurship. And if I can dive a little more into that, what the paradox is, um, that's where it all starts, is, is around the paradox. Um, so in my case, with my first business, if I can use myself as an example, in my first business, I, I started doing web development, interactive design, and things like that. And I was using some new technologies that had just come out that were so innovative and so unique. And people started saying, wow, you build amazing websites. Why, do, why don't you start an interactive agency? And so I did. And it turned into the full service marketing agency with 
logo design and branding and radio and TV commercials and database and web and you know all these things. And we started winning all these awards and um, being written up in magazines and 40 under 40 and entrepreneur of the year and all these things. And that was actually the problem that all of those things I described were what was keeping my business small. And you think, wait a minute, you're winning awards, you're being written up in magazines, you're doing all these innovative things. How is that stopping your business? And that's the paradox. The paradox is that me as, um, and I, I really hesitate saying this um, because this is not me anymore. I've, I've actually been able to break out of this. Um, but during the time, there was an international certification for, um, for this technology I was using. And I ranked second in the world for this technology. And yes, that's exactly the response that everybody gave was like, whoa, that's a big deal. But that was actually what was chaining me to a small company because I was the one developing websites. I was the one creating the, the coolest, latest, greatest. And there's only one of me. And the paradox is that I started my business because I was one of the best in the world at web design and interactive media. And I had to stop being the best in the world at my product if I wanted to start being the best in the world at my company. And that's the paradox is that you can't, well, this illustrates it really well. Every client I work with, I ask them this question and, it, and the light bulb goes off and you see the aha moment. I say, if you're building the product, who's building the company? That's, I love that. Yeah. That's so great. <laughs> <laughs> and so... I bet you it's a tough question for them to, I bet you, as you said, that light bulb moment, I could see literally people being like, dang it. That's, <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what happens every time. And, and, the, and it's when they wake up, it's when they go, oh, you're right. I can't be writing code and designing websites because if I do, that means I'm neglecting the things that it, I could be doing with the business instead of working on the product. I miss. So once you had that, realization was that was that did you have that realization in that first business or did it have to go a few ups and downs before that uh before that sunk in for you my my first and second companies um i started the agency first my second company was actually a digital sheet music company um back in the days of the internet when sheet music was nothing more than a downloadable pdf and we built an interactive sheet music player so you could actually see the notes they would highlight you could change keys mid-song and it would it would transpose. You could take parts in and out. It was it was really fun. So my second company is a digital sheet music company and I ran them simultaneously. And yeah, that that was really when I was making the majority of my mistakes. <laughs> um, and so yeah, it took a couple of companies. I'll, I'll I'll put it out there, I'll be vulnerable. It was it wasn't just one, it was it was a couple of them. Yeah. I, I can I can imagine. I know for myself, it's like this. Um, I, I've had so many forays in little small businesses, and a lot of times people like I, I don't necessarily talk about it a whole heap. And then everyone's like, "Oh, but like with what you with your company, obviously it's like your first one." And I was like, first one that I incorporated into a bigger company and hired staff and things like that." But it's like, I've had so many things that I've gone through and tried, and, and similar to as you're saying there, it's like 
always being based around certain aspects that I was focusing on rather than me growing the actual business and just trying to focus on the products and, and all that sort of stuff. So uh, I, yeah, I, I, feel, I, feel, I feel the pain on, on that one hits me, uh, hits me right in the feels because I, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely have experienced that as well. And for, for yeah. people then, when like in the entrepreneur's paradox, what are some of the thing principles or maybe share like a principle or two if it's okay for the individual? Because I, as you say, like the, the business principles time and time again are getting repeated out there and, and people will start. I think some people like with the access to information we have these days, it can be confusing, but there's, it's, you know, you can come across these, these uh, little nuggets of wisdom. What about yeah. for the individual, some of the principles there? Like what was maybe one of the bigger ones for yourself learning um, uh, as you went through those different companies? Yeah. So, so once people break out of the paradox, the, the paradox, again, being that what got people into business will prevent them from succeeding in business. And so once they break out of that, and, and part of the reason it's so hard is because it's an identity reboot. It's like ripping out your identity, putting it over here and saying, okay, I'm not going to be the second best in the world at this cool technology anymore. I'm now going to be the best in the world at building business. That's hard because it feels good to be written up in magazines. It feels good to win awards. It feels good to you know, have be at Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, wait, you guys don't have Thanksgiving in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've seen enough American movies to know. Uh, Christmas, <laughs> dinner. Well, like Christmas dinner, how's that? Um, you know, sitting at Christmas dinner and having all of your relatives just dote on you. Oh, you're so amazing. You're so this or that. And that feels good, right? And to rip that out, that's hard. And I've worked with clients that weren't willing to do it. I've worked with clients that just said, sorry, you know, I love this too much. And their businesses stay exactly what they are. They don't turn into rapid growth companies. Um, so being able to set that aside, set that on the shelf and say, hey, that's cool. You know, I was there one day and that's okay. And now I'm putting that here and now I'm going to move on. That is one of the hardest things that, and one of the first things I, I get entrepreneurs to do. But then walking through the cycle, so there really is a path. There's a pathway to success. And the next thing is for entrepreneurs to, um, to decide which mountain they're going to climb. And um, this is another one of those aha moments. Um, when I sit down with them, they say, there's really only three mountain ranges. That's it. There's only three mountain ranges you can climb in your business. And um, the first mountain range is a lifestyle business. It's still challenging. It's hard. I have, I have a local mountain here right by my house. It's 12,000 feet. And we're actually going to go climb it with a group of entrepreneurs this Saturday. It's going to be super fun. Um, but it's, it's like that. You go up and down in a day. It's hard. It's 15 miles. It's, you know, we'll be at 12,000, just under 12,000 feet at the top. And, you know, it's, it's a big mountain. Um, but you come back down every day and that's like a lifestyle business. Then the second mountain range is the buyer be bought mountain range. So are you working for acquisition? Are you working to acquire? Is that how your growth strategy is going to be? And that's a very different mountain range. That's like Kilimanjaro, which I'm climbing in October. If you want to come, send me a line. Come <laughs> with us up Kilimanjaro. It's going to be an amazing trip. I'm taking 15 entrepreneurs up to the top of Kilimanjaro. Um, but that's like the buyer be bought. It's a 44-mile trek. And at the top, you're at 
over 19, just under the cruising altitude of a jet. You're at 19,384 feet. So, I mean, it's high and you have to take gear and it's hard. And it's, even though I've done a half Ironman and I've qualified for the Boston Marathon, I've never done anything as hard as Kilimanjaro. And that's like the buyer be bought strategy. And then the third mountain range is IPO. So the third mountain range is the, is the public offering. And that's like, that's like Everest or K2, that if you don't go with an experienced guide, you die. <laughs> and and so, um, so there's really only those three, but there's magic. There's, I, I have it on my website. I'm, I'm happy to share the link with you. There's a success formula. There's an absolute formula for success. And it only has four things. And I know you asked for personal, and I, I promise I'm getting there, but um, part of it is, is getting through this. So I'll share the link with you about the success formula, but really quick, um, the four elements are how much, why, when, specific date, um, for what, and finally, the and why. So writing down a very specific goal is magic. It is absolute magic. All of a sudden, the universe conspires to be on your side. And not only that, your brain actually changes. When you have a, a goal, a financial goal by a certain date with a, a heart motive, your brain changes. And all of a sudden, it goes into problem-solving mode. Like, how am I going to get to this goal? How am, and it just starts churning. Your brain starts churning, and it figures out how to do it. It's amazing. So here we go to your question. I know that was a really long buildup. <laughs> really, really long. Um, but to answer your question directly, so once people have that, you know, you say, well, if there's a success formula, why doesn't every single company in the world just go gangbusters? And that's the next step. And this is one of those personal things is why do people, why do people, why do businesses fail? Why do people go out of business? And you look at, you look at in the United States, the Bureau of Labor Statistics say that um, 30 to 50% will go out of business in the first year. And um, 50 plus, 50 to 70 will go out of business in the first five years. And you think those numbers are huge. You know, that's enormous. I think they've actually got it all wrong. I know the data backs it up. I know the data backs it up. But I firmly believe businesses don't fail. Entrepreneurs quit. And, and then you have to ask the question, why? Why do entrepreneurs quit? And the, one of the biggest things that I come across every single time I work with an entrepreneur is a set of fear, a, a set of fear beliefs. And entrepreneurs, they, again, comes baked in. Imposter syndrome is huge with entrepreneurs. And with me, every time I was written up in a magazine or got, you know, 40 under 40 or hot 100 or whatever the award was, it actually made it worse, not better. Because now I had this, you know, before it was just me having fun and doing cool stuff. And now I'm an entrepreneur of the year. Well, I got to live up to that. And now I'm 40 under 40 and I've got to live up to that. And now, you know, and it just built and built and the imposter syndrome got deeper. It didn't get less, it got deeper. Like, oh no, people are actually going to figure out, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I have absolutely no clue. I don't have a degree in this. I don't have, you know, all of these things, these stories in my mind playing out. And, and it's, I heard the most amazing quote the other day. 
that imagination is a preview of the future. And if you think about that, we can either put fear into our imagination or we can put hope and excitement and glory in our future. And that's what our imagination does, is it predicts the future. It's a forecast of what's going to happen next. So if we're living with fear, if we're living with this constant looking over our shoulder thinking, who's going to find out that I'm an imposter? You know, if we're living with that, then all of a sudden that becomes our reality. That becomes our future. If we're living with, I am so excited to be doing this. I am so full of hope and excitement for what this could become. Then that becomes our future. And there's, there's a very simple, very quick fix to turn fear into power. And it only requires one letter. That's it. So what's the letter? You can't leave us hanging with that. Come on. <laughs> Did you like the system? No? Did you? <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> so the, the letter is S. And um, I'll explain why. So if you, look at, if you look at this phrase, think of how many times you've said, said this phrase. And, and then not only think about it, but feel this phrase. When I say this, pay attention to how you feel. So the phrase is, what if? What if I go out of business? What if I can't pay payroll? What if I'm, I work all day and all night and my family leaves me? What if? What if? What if? What if? How does that feel? It just feels... Well, let me ask you, how does that yeah, feel? Okay? It's heavy. It's heavy. <laughs> and it feels constrictive. Like Even when I say it, like it feels like my chest is pressing in. And it's very constrictive. And if we take the F off the end and we replace it with an S, now pay attention to how you feel. What is? What is my next step? What is in my control? What is something I can do today to either prevent a problem in the future or solve one today? What is my goal? What is my dream? How does that feel? Oh. Yeah, it's much, much better. <laughs> it feels liberating. It feels like, okay, I'm actually going to tap into my personal power. Instead of being a victim to what if, what if this happens? What if that happens? And projecting our imaginations into the future with all these negative scenarios. We can bring it back to the, the, the present. We can bring it back to right now, and we can go from our head down to our heart. And we can say, okay, what is in my power? And a dear friend of mine, Richard Bass, he coined the phrase, he said, he said perplexing on the past produces pain. Fretting on the future fuels fear. Only the present provides peace and power. And Taking that F and turning it into the S is taking all that away and bringing it right back to the, the present, right back to the center and saying, okay, I have power. What is in my power to change? What is in my power to become? What is? And that quick fix of just changing that phrase from what if to what is, is a quick way to eliminate fear, especially in the moment. 
I think that's amazing. That's a, such a uh, handy little uh, tool and uh, technique for people to, to immediately take away because, yeah, it, um, as you said, just even saying it here with you, it just make, makes things sound much, much, much easier to overcome, to provide solutions to versus the, uh, the inverse, which is, yeah, literally uh, probably uh, teeing yourself up for a heart attack. <laughs> too, too, too many of those. Right. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a crazy one. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I love that. I think that's amazing. Now, um, Curtis, as we get in towards the, I think I, we could probably, I could probably pick your brain for hours on these things, but I make sure I got to stay on, uh, on task here. And I do like to ask one question at the end of every podcast, which is the same every time. Um, but I do want to ask you just out of pure curiosity, the NBA ball on, like in the background there, oh. what, uh, what ball is yes. that? Um, that's when the Jazz went against Michael Jordan. So Carl Malone and John Stockton went against Michael Jordan um, all the way into the finals. And unfortunately, the Jazz did not win, but <laughs> that, is, that is one of the finals balls there. Uh, amazing. I love it. I literally have over here probably the inverse. I have a Michael Jordan ball. So it's. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm Michael Jordan ball just sitting over on the side. That's why I, every time I see it, I'm like, oh, I wonder what ball that is. Um, that's amazing. That, that wasn't the question, though. That wasn't the question I was going to okay. ask. Okay. <laughs> my question, just that was my own personal curiosity. Now, the question I like to ask every time is Was there any questions that I didn't ask you that I should have? Ooh. Um. Actually, oh, we could talk for hours and hours. Um, we really could. <laughs> the, the the one that's been on my the one that's been on my mind lately. Actually, I'm I'm just about to publish a Forbes article about this. Is it, going back to the personal side of things. Is the reason I took the word "should" out of my vocabulary, and a lot of my life, and I know a lot of people do this, especially entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are people that that strive, that are reaching for this amazing you know, goal. And, um, and with that, there comes a lot of, of unrealistic expectations and a lot of shoulds. There, there's a lot of shoulds that happen. And the more I, I thought about the word should, you know, is should is dangerous in a couple of ways. One is I started saying, who says I should? Like, who, who is this mysterious person that's saying I should? And, and why are they saying it? And because it's not mine, whenever I use the word should, it's not mine anymore. And you think about that. If, if I'm saying I should do this, well, that means somebody else told me I should. And so things that I replace that word with now is I want to. Instead of I should, because that's external and that abdicates my responsibility. That says, oh, somebody else said it, so it's theirs, it's not mine. But I said, I said, do I want to do this? Yes, I do. I do want to do this. So instead of I should do this, I want to do this. Or instead of I should, or this should happen, I changed it to I expect this to happen. And I started taking that word out because should also is very associated with another sh word shame should and shame go hand in hand you should do this and if you don't guess what there's shame you should do this well what happens when you don't quite make it to the should 
well, then there's shame and feelings of inadequacy, etc. Changing that one word from my vocabulary has really helped. And I, I encourage the entrepreneurs I work with to remove it from theirs as well, is stop giving other people power. Bring the power back to yourself and say, you know what? I want to do this regardless of anything else. And I see people shitting themselves to death. <laughs> I literally see people shooting themselves. To, I should do this. I should do that. I should. Well, stop. Just stop. Stop with the shoulds and instead say, what do I want? Where is my heart? What do I want to strive for? And what do I need in my life? And replacing that should word, I'm going to stop shooting myself um, with, with my desire, my heart, bringing the responsibility and accountability back to me. Because as long as it should, that means it's not mine. That means somebody else is accountable for it. Somebody, it's somebody else's idea. As soon as I bring it here, that's when I tap into my power. I think that's amazing and probably a, uh, a perfect point to finish on there and people to take away. There's, so there's been so many uh, key takeaways in this that I think uh, people are definitely gonna, going to want to know, uh, Curtis, where can they find out more about the book, more about what you're up to? If anyone's listened and, and resonated with this, where's the best place for them to connect with you online? Yeah, if you'd like to grab the book, um, Amazon.com or you know, anywhere that books are sold. And then um, entrepreneursparadox.com is the website where you can find out about coaching and mentoring as well. You can come with Kim and I up to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. There's a place where you can sign up for Mount Kilimanjaro. So if, uh, if I'm ever allowed to leave my state in Australia, then uh, maybe I will. It's, uh, it's a bit hard for me to move anywhere these days. It's like I'd, I'd love to, but I, they... Uh, they, they, they lock us down over here. We uh, <laughs> struggle to get in and out of the country. But, yeah, um, yeah. yeah it does. That sounds like an amazing, uh, amazing journey and turning a real-life metaphor into an actual mountain to climb is, is pretty cool. I love that. Um, right. So, obviously, guys, anyone listening to this, if you know an entrepreneur, normally I like to kind of give a call to action to share an episode with someone you know. Um, this episode, anyone that's an entrepreneur, I think you should just share this episode with them, get them to hear a little bit from Curtis and really, you know, hear some of the paradoxes we face as entrepreneurs and some little tools, techniques and strategies he's already shared with us in this you know, short podcast, um, I think would benefit anyone that is an entrepreneur. So please make sure you share this with, uh, with the entrepreneurs in your life if you're listening to this. And Curtis, again, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you making the time. Kevin, yeah, it's been so, so wonderful. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Cheers. <laughs>